Robinson Royal David City Stood a lowly cattle shed You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. I am so glad that you've joined us today. Here in this fourth week of Advent, not much time left to Christmas. I hope you're prepared. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today. A little bit of a different format. A little bit of a different format. Uh, The second and third segments of the show where we normally look at Scripture and at the... uh, at the reading from church history, we have a special guest. We have uh, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble with the Daughters of St. Paul. She grew up here in the Tulsa area, but now has gone on to enter into consecrated life. And she's got a brand new book out that we're going to talk to her about in our second segment. Uh, so we don't have a lot of time to, to get all of the other things we normally do in the show in. So we're just going to kind of launch right into it this morning. So let's open up in prayer. Oh, God who, seeing the human race fallen into death, willed to redeem it by the coming of your only begotten Son, grant, we pray, that those who confess his incarnation with humble fervor may merit his company as their Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, here we are. We're just a couple of days away from Christmas, and I hope that you are prepared this season, prepared for Christmas. And of course, I don't mean that uh, you have all your presents bought or wrapped or put under the tree because I'm not that optimistic. Uh, I know that I'm going to be out probably buying presents uh, on Christmas Eve or the day before and getting them wrapped at the last minute because that's kind of how I roll. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got five kids uh, under the age of seven. They were all planned at least 10 minutes in advance, right? So, uh, but even so, with that many kids, we've gone with the three gift route, right? So you get, every kid gets a gold present, a frankincense present, and a myrrh present. And the gold present is that toy that they really, really, really want. That's, that's their gold. Frankincense is something to help with their spiritual development, whether uh, we give them a rosary or whether we give them uh, a book about prayer or a book about the saints or some other something that will help them develop their spiritual life. Then the third gift they get is their myrrh gift, and that's something for the body, uh, whether that be PJs or some clothes or something to help them play outside or some physical activity. Uh, that's going to be their their myrrh gift. And so each of our kids only get three presents, but even so, I'm still going to be wrapping late into the night on, on uh, Christmas Eve because that's just how it is. But no, what I'm talking about is are you prepared spiritually? That's what this whole season of Advent has been about. These four weeks preceding Christmas are for us to examine our hearts and to see if we are prepared to receive the incarnate Christ, God with us, to walk with us. And so all of the readings in the church every day for the last four weeks have been about us making room for Christ. It seems that so often we're caught up into the the celebratory aspects of Christmas, that cultural celebration of Christmas, that we miss the deeper things that the church is offering us. And even those who maybe crusade against materialism at Christmas, they would say generic things like, uh, well, we need to remember that Christmas is about family and it's about peace and joy, or even to say it's about Jesus, but 
but they're missing something foundational, I think, to what Christmas is. Christmas is about our redemption. It's about God breaking into earth, becoming one of us, manifest to us, and offering himself to us to reconcile us with God. That's something far deeper than family, although family benefits from that. It's something far deeper than just uh, vague notions of peace and joy. It actually is the means by which we can have peace and joy. And so I encourage you, if you've not yet spent time uh, looking to Christ, looking to our redemption this Christmas, take a little bit of time, maybe take 15 minutes today. Just sit in silence with God. Examine your own heart and see what areas you need to turn over to him this Christmas for him to bring full redemption into your life. And when that happens, you will experience a Christmas celebration unlike any you have experienced before, because the liberation of Christ coming to us at Christmas is the true meaning of Christmas. And today's readings point a little bit to that kind of deep rejoicing uh, that we're looking forward to at Christmas. The story picks up in 1 Samuel, and we're going to read the, the first chapter, and then the responsorial is actually not a psalm today. It comes from the second chapter of 1 Samuel. And we're walking through this story with Hannah, who has experienced the deep grief of being uh, childless. And she is crying out to God that God would give her a child. And she goes into the temple at Shiloh and pours out her heart to God and is praying so fervently that Eli... Uh, who is the, the priest there, thinks that she is drunk. And so he goes up and says, you know, this is really not the place for that. And she says, no, 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 no. It's way too early in the morning for that. I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm crying out to God that he would give me a child. And so probably feeling a little bit sheepish, uh, Eli prays for her and says, uh, may God bless you. Go in peace. May God grant you that which you ask for. And so God does. God gives her a son. And then we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. In those days, Hannah brought Samuel with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and presented him at the temple of the Lord in Shiloh. After the boy's father had sacrificed the young bull, Hannah, his mother, approached Eli and said, Pardon, my lord. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood near you here, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted my request. Now I, in turn, give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. And she left Samuel there. That's a reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1. The responsorial today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2. My heart exults in the Lord my Savior. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in my God. I have swallowed up my enemies. I rejoice in my victory. My heart exalts in the Lord, my Savior. The bows of the mighty are broken, while the tottering gird on strength. The well-fed hire themselves out for bread, while the hungry batten on spoil. The barren wife bears seven sons, while the mother of many languishes. My heart exalts in the Lord, my Savior. The Lord puts to death and gives life. He casts down to the netherworld. He raises up again. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He humbles. He also exalts. My heart exalts in the Lord my Savior. He raises the needy from the dust, 
From the dung heap he lifts up the poor, to seat them with nobles and make a glorious throne their heritage. My heart exalts in the Lord my Savior. Then the gospel today really mirrors that prayer that Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2. And Mary says this in the gospel of St. Luke chapter 1. Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm and has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. That again is the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 1. For our reading from church history today, we're going to back up just a little bit. Right before the Magnificat is the story of Mary going to visit Elizabeth. And so here is a a commentary of that story from uh, St. Ambrose. And he says this, When the angel revealed his message to the Virgin Mary, he gave her a sign to win her trust. He told her of the motherhood of an old and barren woman to show that God is able to do all that he wills. When she hears this, Mary sets out for the hill country. She does not disbelieve God's word. She feels no uncertainty over the message or doubt about the sign. She goes eager in purpose, dutiful in conscience, hastening for joy. Filled with God, where would she hasten but to the heights? The Holy Spirit does not proceed by slow, laborious efforts. Quickly, too, the blessings of her coming and the Lord's presence are made clear. As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the contrast and the choice of words. Elizabeth is the first to hear Mary's voice, but John is the first to be aware of grace. She hears with the ears of the body, but he leaps for joy at the meaning of the mystery. She is aware of Mary's presence, but he is aware of the Lord's. A woman aware of a woman's presence, the forerunner aware of the pledge of our salvation. The women speak of the grace they have received while the children are active in secret, unfolding the mystery of love with the help of their mothers, who prophesy by the spirit of their sons. The child leaps in the womb. The mother is filled with the Holy Spirit. He fills his mother with the same spirit. John leaps for you, and the spirit of Mary rejoices in turn. When John leaps for joy, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know that though Mary's spirit rejoices, she does not need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Her son, who is beyond our understanding, is active in his mother in a way beyond our understanding. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit after conceiving John, while Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit before conceiving the Lord. Elizabeth says, Blessed are you because you have believed. You also are blessed because you have heard and believed. A soul that believes 
both conceives and brings forth the word of God and acknowledges his works. Let Mary's soul be in each of you to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. Let her spirit be in each to rejoice in the Lord. Christ has only one mother in the flesh, but we all bring forth Christ in faith. Every soul receives the word of God if only it keeps chaste, remaining pure and free from sin, its modesty undefiled. The soul that succeeds in this proclaims the greatness of the Lord, just as Mary's soul magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in God her Savior. In another place we read, Magnify the Lord with me. The Lord is magnified not because the human voice can add anything to God, but because he is magnified within us. Christ is the image of God, and if the soul does what is right and holy, it magnifies that image of God, in whose likeness it was created, and, in magnifying the image of God, the soul has a share in its greatness, and is exalted. That reading comes from a commentary on Luke by St. Ambrose. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Sister Teresa Aletheia from the Daughters of St. Paul. She has a new book, The Prodigal You Love. We're going to be giving away a couple of copies on our social media. So go by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash step outside the walls for more details about that giveaway. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. That again is Branches, Branches Music, with their rendition of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I played that specific because of that last line there. Uh, And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And a lot of times, maybe we feel that. We get so caught up in the external trappings of Christmas and in preparation and and in the stress of it that maybe we live our Christmas without peace. And that's really the purpose of Advent is to help us prepare room for the coming of the Savior. As the song Joy to the World says, let every heart prepare him room. So Advent really is the season of preparation to prepare us to have that peace on earth and goodwill to men. To help us with that preparation today, we have a special guest, Sister Teresa Aletheia, who is with the Daughters of St. Paul. Uh, Sister Teresa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you, Timothy. So Sister Teresa has a a new book uh, called 
The Prodigal You Love. It's available through Pauline Books. Uh, and I brought her on today. She's a, a good friend of mine. She's actually my daughter's godmother, so, you know, nepotism. Uh, <laughs> but I, I brought her in today because of this book, and I think that it's something that would benefit us to have a conversation about as we go into the holidays. So uh, the first thing I have uh, a question about, sister, is what makes it uh, something that a that we can trust a uh, a sister in religious life to tell us uh, how to bring people back into the church. I mean, you've dedicated your whole life to the faith. So, uh, so what makes you think that you can tell us what to do? <laughs> well, I've, I've, you know, I've dedicated my life from here on out, but um, for, for a long time, I was actually away from the church. And um, when I was 14 years old, I became an atheist. And so I was away from the church for over 10 years before I became a nun. But that, that is a good question. <laughs> so you said that you, you were away from the church. What did that look like for you? Uh, because I, your dad has a theology degree. He was uh, worked with the diocese. And so uh, how did that look for you to, to walk away from the church? And then how did that express itself? Yeah, it, it was really difficult for both of my parents. Um, my dad is a theologian, and my mother is a really faith-filled Catholic. So both of them were very involved in their faith, and they they raised us in the faith in, in a very deep and profound way, not just going to church on Sunday, but the liturgy of the of the of the church was part a fabric of our of our home life. So. So when I told them when I was 14 years old that I was leaving the church, um, they they were very disappointed, to say the least. Um, and I think they hoped that it would be a phase. And over the years, they 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 realized that it wasn't as short of a phase as they had hoped because I was away from the church for over 10 years. Um, but they never stopped praying for me, you know. And and even in it, there were times when. You know, I, I was an atheist, but then I started to kind of um, investigate supernatural realities. And in, that, in those investigations, I, you know, I dabbled in Buddhism and I uh, went to Quaker meetings and I did different things that, um, that, you, that I thought my parents would be upset about. But, um, but they actually reacted to that with a little bit of relief, I think because they were they were glad that I was I was at least believing in something. Mm -hmm. So how did you get back into the church? What what was that journey like for you to uh, to come back to the place where you started? Um, you know, in my book I relate kind of a Damascus moment that I had when I when I started to believe in God and it was just an instant but, um, you know, there were a lot of things that led up to that, and over time, I kind of opened, I, you know, when I became an atheist, I kind of shut myself to God. I wasn't interested. It, it, there was no relationship. I just cut the thread. Um, but, but over time, I, you know, it's kind of like a tight bud I, I, of a flower. I kind of started to open a little bit of my soul to God, and I slowly kind of blossomed. And, and, and that, that was kind of a preparation for that moment of grace. 
Um, but some of the things that happened along the way were um, I started to, you know, I started to just question whether, um, whether, you know, whether I was really thinking about life's deepest questions. You know, I, I, I kind of, it, it was kind of an easy answer to say God doesn't exist, therefore I don't have to think about an afterlife. I don't have to think about all of these questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, when I was in my uh, 20s after college, one of my friends passed away, um, and it was very sudden. He, he was actually mountain climbing, and he, um, he, 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 was a very, uh, he was an expert mountain climber, but he, he grabbed a, a cornice, and, it, and he fell, and he died. And that really impacted me, um, not only because I cared about him and he was my friend, um, and it was a, a tragic situation, but also because I, I thought to myself, where is my friend going? Like, is this the end of his life? And, you know, my atheist responses to that just weren't adequate enough for me. I, I thought, I, I really need to, I need to think about this more. I need to, you know, this is, this is, this is, these are important questions to think about. So that, that was one thing that kind of helped me to start to think about the supernatural and to consider it. Another thing was um, miracles. Um, I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and he said to me, or I said to him, I, you know, I believe in miracles. And he said, you can't really believe in miracles if you're an atheist unless you think it's, you know, something that science can explain eventually, but right now it can't or something. And I said, well, no, I, I mean, a miracle is something that defies the explanation. And I believe that things like that can happen. And he said, well, how? How can that happen? How can you believe that if you're an atheist? And I, I, I thought about that. And, you know, I was at that point in my life, I was so far from God that it, I didn't really even, the, the possibility of God being the cause of miracles really didn't even cross my mind. But it was, but it was the beginning of of thinking about that question. So you find yourself then back in the church through these investigations and through a softening of your heart, and then a miracle of miracles. Since we're talking about those, uh, you find yourself drawn to religious life, to consecrated life with uh, the daughters of Saint Paul. Uh, so now you're living this life of faith uh, with an with a an order whose charism is. Uh, ministry in very public ways through the media that's available to us. Uh, so whether it be television or radio or, or books. So now you've got this beautiful platform. Uh, what makes you decide to write a book to start with, uh, specifically as such a young sister? Uh, and second, what makes you decide to write a book about this specific topic? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I didn't, a lot of people say to me, oh, you must have joined the Daughters of St. Paul because you're a writer. And I I really, I'd never even considered myself a writer before I joined the Daughters of St. Paul. Um, I didn't look at the Daughters of St. Paul mission and think, oh, this makes total sense. I I really fit in here. It was more, um, it was more a sense of God inviting me to this, even though I didn't understand. And that that's really been my journey of life since 
I, since that moment when I started to believe in God, it, it's been life, my life before me is a mystery and he just leads me through it. Um, I, I've, I've let go of my plans, my ideas, at least I try my best, um, because that's really what is required of, of living a life for God. And, and he's the God of surprises. So, you know, when I joined the Daughters of St. Paul, I, and I, I knew that the sisters, some of the sisters wrote books and things like that, but it, it really didn't occur to me that, that I would be doing that. But as I was, after I joined the convent, um, I met a lot of people. In we, Our sisters run bookstores, and our convents are connected to the bookstores. And so I would meet people in the bookstores who would come in and very distraught, um, concerned people about their loved ones who were away from the church. Um, some of them would have serious problems, serious addictions, or they were in prison or serious things like that. But others that they just, they just had rejected the church and, and weren't going to church. So, um, and this was such a common prayer intention. And all of our sisters get this prayer intention a lot. And I'm sure if you speak to any priest or sister, they will tell you that this is one of the top five prayer intentions that we get is for people who are away from the church. But, um, but I felt every time I, I would have these interactions, I felt something, you know, a, a call from God, you know, and I wasn't sure what it was. I just felt like I needed to, to do something. And, um, I, and sometimes I would have interactions with the parents, and often it was parents, but um, there was one particular interaction with a mother that I remember um, and I talk, I talk about it briefly in my book, but the, the woman said, you know, I, she, and she was so upset that her son was away from the church, and she, you know, she had a really deep love for the church and for her son, but she said, I, you know, I talk to him all the time, and I tell him that, that he can go to hell, and I tell him that all the time. And I, I thought to myself, and she said this to to me without any degree of awareness that that might not be a good thing to be saying to your son. Um, and I realized that that um, people might need some help in the way that they interact with their loved ones, and that's an extreme example. But but even in our everyday interactions, they're just. Um, I felt like from my own experience, from um, other people's experience, drawing on the wisdom of the saints and the church, I could, I could write something, you know. And, and there's a lot of books on evangelization, um, but there's not as many that are focused on the people who are closest to you. And they're the hardest people yeah. to get to. That is the hardest kind of evangelization. Um, but I felt like it, it was, a, it was um, something that was missing, something that, that needed to be out there. Yeah. We're talking with Sister Teresa Alethea with the Daughters of St. Paul. She's got a brand new book, The Prodigal You Love, Inviting Loved Ones Back into the Church. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the book and uh, address some practical aspects as well as we prepare to interact with our family members this Christmas. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow.
voices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. We're talking today with Sister Teresa Alethea from the Daughters of St. Paul about her brand new book, The Prodigal You Love, inviting loved ones back to the church from Pauline Books and Media. Sister Teresa, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for sticking through the break, and uh, thank you for being here on the show today. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here, Timothy. So thank you for giving us kind of that background in the last segment. Uh, what I want to do during this segment, if if you're amicable, is to really talk about what are some practical things as we've got family members coming to be with us over the holidays that uh, maybe we're anticipating a little bit of, of stress, uh, uncertainty about how to interact with someone who is away from the faith in a way that would be one, wouldn't betray our own consciences and our own faith, but two, also wouldn't push them away further from the church, but would rather draw them in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first thing that I always say, and in, in my book, um, The Prodigal You Love, I have a chapter, you know, about my story, but then the, nec- the very next chapter is, um, is called The Foundation of Humility. And I started with that, you know, very purposefully, because I think that in in evangelization, humility is very key, but it is especially key with our loved ones, with our friends and family who who see us at our worst, and they know all of our foibles, all of our sins, um, all of our hypocrisies. So in order to reach out to them, it's it's really, really important to do it with humility. Um, and, and it's not just important um, for the efficacy of, of our evangelization. It's also important because, because we're Christians, mm-hmm. and St. Paul told us to clothe ourselves in humility. Um, so this, this is part of being Christian, is to deliver the faith in a humble manner and to be humble. Um, and Jesus was humble. Um, and also... The reason that humility is also important is because um, St. Augustine said that, that it was the most important virtue. Um, St. Thomas disagreed with that, St. Thomas Aquinas, but he did believe that um, humility was foundational um, because it clears obstacles to other virtues. And so what I'm getting at with that is our loved ones need humility. So if we're communicating the faith to them in a way that isn't humble, um, how are they going to have the foundation that they themselves need to, to um, have the seed of faith planted? So um, humility is important for us, for the delivery of the message, for us as Christians, but it's also important for our loved ones to see what humility looks like, to, for us to model that for them, 
um, so that so that they can, you know, in the conversation, be humble themselves. Because often our our attitude in communicating with another person kind of kind of tips the other person off to to that attitude. You know, so if we're aggressive, the other person is is likely going to be aggressive. If we're humble, the other person is likely to be humble. So the, the Psalms say that a soft answer turns away wrath. Yes. Now, uh, speaking of wrath, <laughs> it seems like our, you know, when we get back uh, around our family, around our, our children or our uh, extended family, we kind of revert back into a way of being from when we were first together. And so we know where every button is. We know how to tweak mm-hmm. people. They know how to tweak us. And, and it seems like our personality just really uh, reverts and gets in the way of some of these conversations. You know, when we're talking with someone who we've never met, or maybe it's a, an acquaintance and we're talking to them about the faith, it's it's really easy to be uh, detached and to to uh, maybe put our uh, best foot forward or to know that we have to exercise patience because these people obviously don't know what they're talking about. They, they uh, haven't received all of this uh, instruction before, and so we're patient with them and we walk them through things in a, in a rational way. But when it comes to our family, they've been through all of this catechesis. And so when we begin to talk to them about the faith, it seems, one, that it's easy for them to shut it down because they've they've already shut it down once before. And two, it seems like we're a little bit less detached when we're dealing with our own family members in terms of uh, the patient's quotient. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's actually a good point. Um something I haven't thought about, but, but families have their patterns of interactions, you know, and um, we, we can go home and, and, and think that we've worked something out or gotten better in something, and the minute we get home, it's just we go right back to how we used to, used to act. Um, and I think in my own family, I think about sometimes when the topic of religion comes out up, I feel sometimes like we're fast forwarding and hitting play. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think to myself, is this, I feel like this is deja vu. Like we've had this conversation since I was 10 years old, just over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, you know, how do you deal with that? I think, I think, um, sometimes, and I talk about this in the book, sometimes it's important, um, you know, not to talk. Um, and it, it, it's that, you know, that sounds a little counterintuitive when you're talking about evangelization, you think, and there's that quote that everyone quotes about St. Francis about, you know, not, not using words, but, but I, I don't really agree with that. But I do think that it is important to not use words sometimes, um, and to use, use, um, you know, bring up religion or bring up the topic of faith in a strategic way, not just um, assuming that that you have to bring it up in order to evangelize your loved ones. Um, And and a metaphor or uh, the parable that I I talk about um, that I think is a good example of how I I think it it would be good to approach friends and family is um, Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. And he, he approaches her, and, you know, he, 
he doesn't walk up to her and say, hello, I know that you have had five husbands. Good to meet you. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you know, that's not how he starts the conversation. And sometimes, sometimes we do that. You know, we start with the problems or the points of contention or the disagreements. Um, and I, that, but that's not how Jesus started, you know, his, in his relationships with people. Um, so he, with, with her, he first established trust with her by asking her for a drink of water because he was a Jewish man. She was a woman. They were alone, which was odd. And he spoke to her, which was odd because she was a woman and she's a Samaritan woman. And he asked her for a drink to touch her, the utensils that the, the, the water jug that she was carrying, which was, which would have made him unclean. So, so by doing that, though, he established trust with her. You know, he showed her that he respected her. And then he, he pointed her to the living water, and he explains to her that, that, he, that he's not just looking for earthly water, and she's not just looking for earthly water, but she's looking for, for him, the living water. And so he establishes trust with her, and then he attracts her, he interests her, and attracts her to the mystery of who he is. And then at the end of their interaction, he challenges her. And this all happens, you know, however long that was, within a a day. Mm -hmm. With our loved ones, that takes a lot longer. You know, it takes a lot longer to establish or reestablish trust with people who maybe we've been too aggressive in our sharing of the faith, um, and then to attract them. And, and attraction is often, that's often where, where the silence comes in, because we attract them by showing them how, how the faith has transformed us, how the faith has filled us with joy, how the faith, faith has changed us. And sometimes you need to give that, those, those first two steps, time, before you can get into, you know, where we disagree. Sister, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Timothy. We've been talking with Sister Teresa Alethea from the Daughters of St. Paul. She's got a brand new book, The Prodigal You Love, Inviting Loved Ones Back to the Church. We'll put a link to her book and to her blog on our social media site. You can find that either at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM. We've got a little bit of time left. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about other things that you can do to prepare your heart for the coming of Christ this Christmas.
You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM. And everything is going to change because Christ has come to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. We're no longer left as orphans, but reconciled to God in Christ. I love me some Christmas music. Of course, I'm not talking about White Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or, or even Frosty the Snowman. No, I'm talking about those songs that are so packed with theology, with Christology, of who Christ is and what it means that he came to earth. And I love this season of the year because you can turn on the radio and hear people who normally would not even uh, acknowledge religion, who would not even acknowledge Christ, singing beautiful songs uh, that are just packed with theology. They're proclaiming truth even if they don't know it. Maybe they're just doing it for nostalgic reasons, but I don't care because the Word of God is going out over the, the radio waves that Christ is born. Behold, unto you a son is born. So, yeah, I just, I really enjoy this time of year. And I've been holding off. I've been doing such a good job. I've only been listening to Advent music. Advent music or seasonal music, you know, I'm staying away from the full-on Jesus Christ is here Christmas music until Christmas. I've I've cheated just a little bit in this show, but that's only because uh, this show is going to be replayed on uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So, you know, uh, that technically, uh, that gives me permission, (laughs) right? Right? Yeah, no, we're doing it. So uh, I love this rich, rich theology of Christ coming to earth. So we're talking in this show about how to be prepared for Christmas. And we've talked about how to uh, be prepared in our hearts. We've talked about how to be prepared for Uh, difficult interactions that may come up with family. And there's not a lot of time left. Uh, But I did want to say just one more thing. How can we have a peaceful Christmas when there is so much stress uh, surrounding the holiday? How can we have a Christmas that doesn't end in just a little bit of depression? Because, you know, once all the presents are open, five minutes after we spent three months shopping for these things, three hours wrapping them and getting them perfect in the bows and putting them under the tree and whatever other trappings we have with that. And then in three minutes, it's all done. It's all done and it's all over. And you look around and you say, where did it go? There was supposed to be this feeling of joy because all of these presents and yeah, the kids are playing with it for a little while, but then they're distracted and they want to go watch a movie or want to do some other thing. And this was supposed to be joy. What happened? Where did it go? I believe that we find the answer in the book of Colossians, third chapter. These are just general instructions for life, but I think they're doubly true here at Christmas. Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If one has a grievance against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. And over all these things, put on love, that is, the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as in all wisdom you teach, admonish one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that again is Colossians 3. Peace is a choice. Now, it's not something we can do on our own. It's something that we can only acquire by the grace of God. But in those moments of stress, we can choose to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart, not to be ruled by our passions, our emotions, our fears, but to be ruled by the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. It's a difficult choice to be sure, but it's one that I think will increase your joy because the joy we have is not fleeting as the unwrapped presence under the tree. The joy we have is in Christ who has reconciled us to God the Father, who has given us new life. So as you go to the Christmas tree this year, just a couple of days, I want you to unwrap more than just the present there. I want you to make space in your day for Christ to be made manifest. Maybe that means that you read the Christmas story together out of the book of Luke in the morning before you open presents, maybe even. Maybe that means that you sing a couple of Christmas carols, and not Frosty the Snowman, but one of those beautiful hymns of the faith, Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him, or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or or something else along those lines. I want you to make space in your day for the incarnate Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. I think it'll be the best Christmas yet. Now, if you want to make my Christmas the best Christmas yet, then you need to go and sign up to come to Philadelphia with me because I am going with hopefully two busloads of people to go see Pope Francis in Philadelphia next September. But the deadline to sign up is at the end of January. So to find that information, you're going to go to www.dioceseoftulsa.org slash family life, or you're just going to go to my social media page. You can find that at facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And we'll be putting information about that trip uh, on those sites. So click the link, sign up. Uh, the, The deposit is not very much, but it is due by the end of January. So take a look. We'd love to have you come with us and uh, have a Merry Christmas. That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow.